This morning's reading is taken from the second book of the Bible, that's Exodus and chapter 3, and is the story of Moses and the burning bush. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over to see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. 
and I will make the Egyptians favourably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbour and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. What is it about names? What's in a name? John Lewis was a former colleague of mine. He was a consultant valuer at the sale room donkey's years ago now. John Lewis is also the famous department store that most of you would have visited at some point, I guess. And John Lewis is also this guy who lives in Virginia in the United States. He has the Twitter handle since 2007 of at John Lewis. He went on Twitter, made an account, and because his name was John Lewis, that's the name he chose. Long before John Lewis even realised that this department store uh, realised that Twitter was a thing. And it's led to all manner of fun and games since online as as uh, disgruntled, shall we say, customers of John Lewis, the department store, whose uh, television has broken or whose dishwasher hasn't been delivered or whose order has been done wrongly or whatever it is, tweet at John Lewis demanding their rights. And he very gently and with no little humour responds and uh, sort of ribs them and points them to the department store, John Lewis, so much so that they've um, played along with this and send him a, a lovely parcel of gifts every year as a Christmas present to say thank you for being the first line of their sort of PR team. Names matter, are significant, and particularly in the world of the Bible, as we'll see today, names are hugely significant. One of the things we do on our Explore Christianity course early on is to try and get a grip on what people understand by this name, this concept, this idea of God. Uh, if what we do is we go around the room and put up on a whiteboard or on the screen now, uh, all those ideas that relate to our understanding, our framework for who God is. We all come with baggage. You see, if I were to go down the high street and ask people, some would say um, there is one God in a multicultural, multi-faith society, a town like ours. There is one God. His name is Allah. Others would say there are many gods and I worship this God on that day and I pray to that God on that day. And we have lots of gods over different areas of our life. Others would say, well, it's just a personal, impersonal force or a personal thing that, 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 that drives me forward and helps me make decisions. That's my God. Others, others of you would say, I'm not sure I believe in God. And for those of you who say I don't believe in God, I would want to push back a little bit and say, uh, well, tell me about the God you don't believe in. I don't think it's so much a question of do you believe in God? It's a question of which God do you believe in? Because if you were to tell me about the God you don't believe in and describe him to me, I bet there's a good chance I don't believe in that God either. You see, we all come with baggage and that whiteboard is full of ideas as to who God is. Kids, it might be a nice idea for you with your mum and dad, perhaps after this service, to get a sheet of paper and write down all the names that you know that relate to God, all the things you know about God, who he is, what he's like, what he's called. And I bet uh, you can come up with more than you realise uh, together as a family. Have a think about that perhaps later. It's important, though, that we all uh, kind of are on the same page as we come to think about God. And that's what Exodus 3 does for us. What we're going to do today is take a, black, uh, a rubber, a big old eraser to that whiteboard and rub off all those ideas, all those concepts and start with a, with a blank sheet, as it were, and fill in the gaps from this Exodus chapter 3, which is probably more than any other chapter reveals and defines God for us here in the Old Testament. What we're going to do this week and next is kind of revisit and, and sort of meander over these two chapters, three and four, rather than dividing them down the middle as our chapter divisions do. We're going to look at who God is this week 
And then next week, Ray is going to come and help us notice more about Moses and his response to this God and, and deal with it that way. So it's sort of one of a two part. And you need to come back next week for the, the complete picture. So back to our clean whiteboard this morning. Let's fill in some of the blanks. The first thing we're going to notice is that this God is a holy God. He's a holy God. Moses has spent 14 and a half thousand days getting up, caring for the flock, going to bed, getting up, caring for the flock, going to bed, getting up, caring for the flock, going to bed. And then today is different. Today is significant because he's going to meet with this God face to face. He just doesn't realise it yet. God needs to get his attention. And so he, he has this strange encounter with a bush that was on fire, but doesn't burn up. Moses thinks, well, that's something you don't see every day. I'll go and check that out. And as he wanders over to see what's going on with this bush that's burning, but isn't burned, God speaks to him. He calls to him and says, Moses, Moses. Moses says, here I am. And God instructs him, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Kids, if you're anything like me, when you go somewhere and there's a sign that says, keep off the grass, you know what you want to do, don't you? You want to step over the line and see whether you can get your feet on the grass where it says keep off. Or if you go to a place where there's a, perhaps a rope up that says private keep out, you're going to have a bit of a dip the other side to see whether you can get away with it. This isn't like that. This isn't just a bit of fun. This is deadly, deadly serious. Do not come any closer. You're on holy ground and you're in danger of death. Throughout the Bible, you see, God is described as a God of fire. Later in Exodus, his presence with his people is signified by a, a pillar of fire guiding them through the wilderness. Later in the history, the, his, his presence with his people is symbolised by fire in the temple. Into the New Testament story, and as God meets with his people and sends his spirit on his people after Jesus has gone back to heaven, fire appears on the head of Jesus' followers gathered together. And in the book of Hebrews, later on again in the letter to the Hebrews, God is described frighteningly as a consuming fire, because that's what fire is like, isn't it? Fire is used to signify God's holiness, his anger against sin. Think about it. Fire is, is at the same time attractive. That's why Moses presumably was drawn to the bush. You see something on fire, you know, a, uh, you have a bonfire in your garden, you're drawn to it. You can't help it. But it's hugely destructive at the same time. We had the misfortune of being caught up in some forest fires a few years ago in the south of France on holiday and the campsite we were staying on was surrounded by devastating wildfires thankfully the wind changed direction and the campsite itself was spared and the fire blew away in the other direction but as you got closer you could hear the crackle of the flames you could smell the smoke in the air you could hear the the, the drone of helicopters and aeroplanes trying to douse the flames as they poured water onto the flames and in amongst that sort of sense of smell and, and noise there's that palpable feeling of fear and of danger in the air that's what fire is you can't get close it drives you back it's a picture of the holiness of god the difference between God and you. Holy is one of those words that you only ever really hear around sort of churchy situations and settings, isn't it? It describes for us the utterly unique, powerful, glorious purity and goodness of God, which we cannot attain, which we cannot approach because we're not pure. 
And so what we need is what comes next in the three names that God uh, uses to reveal himself in Exodus chapter 3 for us. We said at the beginning, names have significance, don't they? For many of us, if you're from my sort of background, a white Western culture, names perhaps don't have much of a meaning. We choose names because we like them. I'm called Simon. That means he hears, he heard. Uh, But I bet if you ask my mum and dad why they chose it, I've never asked them actually. But it's not for any significant meaning. It's probably just because they liked it. But for many of you from an African culture, for instance, in our church, I've had the privilege of sharing in many of our African families' celebrations as uh, children are born. And they're wonderful times. You carefully, prayerfully select names for your children. Family members come in, not just from this country, but overseas. Sometimes they fly in and they bring a name for the child. Some of your children must have dozens and dozens of names on their passport. And those names come with meaning and we read the name out and we read the meaning out and we pray over the child and we eat together and we celebrate. And they're a great start for those youngsters. The names mean something. They're weighty. They're significant. And these three names that God uses are just that. They're weighty and they're significant. The first one is this in verse six. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. It's the faithful God. He's a God with a track record. He's a God with a history, a God with a people. I went to buy something online over Christmas, over New Year. Um, I was given some money uh, and I thought I'd treat myself to one of these new fitness um, watch tracker things. And uh, I did the research. I selected the one I wanted and I sent off for it. And I thought before I just click send, I'll, I'll check the, the um, credentials of the, the seller, the details of the seller to see whether the seller's trustworthy. And I was filled with confidence because it said, you know, great item, great quality, works perfectly, uh, syncs with my phone. It does everything I want it to do. measures my heart rate, tells me where I need to sleep. It, it, it's, he, he's been a really helpful seller. Everything about him is perfect. I'd certainly buy from him again. So my excitement when the package came was very, very quickly tempered by the fact that it wasn't like it looked online at all. It was it was a fake. It was a it was a it was very poor. Didn't work. Didn't do what I wanted to do at all. But in with the packaging was a flyer that said, give me a five star review and I'll pay you 50 quid Amazon voucher. got a track record at all God's got a track record and you check it out he's trustworthy he isn't some new kid on the block this is a God who is a people a people that he cares for and a people who is faithful to you see it's interesting isn't it that it's at this point in the story that Moses hides his face Moses is fine with the bush burning he's fine with a voice coming to him from the bush he's fine with having to take his sandals off because this bit of ground is more holy than the ground over there But when God tells him who he is, the God of his fathers of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that's the point where the realisation dawns for Moses who he's dealing with. This God, that God, I've heard of you. I know you. You're the God who promised to my forefather Abraham that his nation, his people would become a great nation. and They would have a, a great land to Isaac. You provided a sacrifice in the wilderness to Jacob. You protected and preserved and, and watched over him and his people. This is the God. The faithful God, the God you can check out, the God you see, act and behave faithfully to his promises in the past, which gives you confidence going on into the future that he will do the same. You can trust him. 
the faithful God. And the second name is in verse 14. God says to Moses, as Moses said, when I go to the Israelites and say to them that this God of your fathers has sent me, I need, I need something else. What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am that I am. I am that I am. Or it could be translated, I will be that I will be. Schindler's List film opens and we're introduced to Oscar Schindler for the first time as he um, stands in a bar, a kind of classy club, and, and weighing up the other members that are there with him. He's drawing slowly on a cigarette. You can see him just sizing up the other members that are there. And he, his eyes light on some top military brass seated at a table having a meal. He beckons a waiter over and waves a, a high denomination bill in his face, which obviously signifies his importance, his wealth. And he says, buy them a round of drinks. And the waiter says, of course, sir, but who should I say they are from? And Schindler says, tell them they're from me. And it's meant to portray something of the self-assuredness and the arrogance of Oscar Schindler at the beginning of the film for us. And of course it's arrogant, isn't it, for any human being to speak like that, basically saying, look, I am me and the world revolves around me and it's all about me and I'm being benevolent to those around me. But when God says it, it's entirely appropriate. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. We use names to help us identify and identify people in relation to something else. If you come to Grace for the first time when we're able to meet back together and you meet somebody and you say to them, hello, um, you might as well just say, hi, Chris. But we've got dozens of kids, dozens of people called Chris. Uh, for some reason in our church, it's just very common. Uh, three of our elders are called Chris. Uh, it's very confusing. In an elders meeting, we say, Chris, would you pray for us? And all three of them start praying at the same time. You need something to define them outside of themselves. So we use surname, Chris Evans. And then you have to think, well, he's not that Chris Evans and he's not that Chris Evans. He's our Chris Evans. Or um, we use their wife's name. So Chris and Helen, Chris and Becky, Chris and Anna defines who they are for us. It's something that anchors their identity in relationship to something or somebody or someone else, somewhere else. It's how you put people on the map. All of our names, I think, derive their meaning from something outside of themselves. But not with God. He doesn't need to draw on anything outside of himself. I mean, who are you going to relate this God to anyway? He exists outside of time and space. He's not bound uh, by a particular geographical place or a particular era. He, he is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He has no limits. He needs nothing else to enable him to exist. He, he is being itself, the essence of being itself. He, we call him creator. We call him sustainer. He is all of those things. But before the foundation of the world, I am. Before the world ever came into being, I am. Just as much as he is today, just as much as he will be in the future. From everlasting to everlasting, he was he is, he is to come. You were not, you are, you will not be. God is. I am what I am. And then the third name shows us that this God has a name, actually. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And it's a bit of a shortened summary in a way of all that's gone before. It sounds like uh, the writer is just repeating himself. I am has sent you. But this comes with a personal note attached to it. Uh, you may have heard the name Yahweh used in church before. 
the Lord, capital letters, the Lord, as it's written in uh, our Bibles. And whenever you see that name, the Lord, in capitals, when you read carefully, that's this personal name that's being used of God. You get it in lowercase, too, from time to time. That's a different word, a different description that's being given to God. Um, that's more to do with his role as king, as Lord, his function. But Yahweh is a personal, intimate name by which God wants to be known. We refer to our queen as Elizabeth, the queen, the queen Elizabeth, don't we? Uh, and you get both those things in her name, in our monarch, Elizabeth, the queen, name and function. I guess there's only one other person on the planet who can refer to her as Liz, and that's her husband, the Duke of Edinburgh. Pretty much everybody else would refer to her in some way as uh, the function that she, uh, she carries out. My wife's called Suzanne. Many of you know my wife, Suzanne. But if I were to introduce you and just keep referring to her as the wife, my wife. I mean, some people do that in jokes sometimes and it can be funny. But if I only ever did that, you'd think there was something seriously wrong with our relationship. And you'd be right. She's defined in many ways. She's a wife. She's a mum. She's a colleague. She's a friend. She's a daughter. She's a sister. She's a, an auntie. She's a mother-in-law. Many things. But we call her Suzanne. And that confers dignity identifies and dignifies her. God primarily wants to be known by this name, Yahweh. And then the function follows. And all that weight of a holy, uh, faithful, eternal, all-sufficient God is bound up in this name. It's brought near and it's personalised for you. God's presence is with his people. I will be what I will be and I will be that for you present with you in every joy and every sorrow every danger every threat every need I will be with you that's Yahweh so Yahweh whose heart is beating for his people the Lord said I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers I've heard I've seen I've come to rescue I've come to deliver them into a good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey I've heard the cry so now go I am with you I am with you and as you go the king isn't going to listen to you in verse 19. He's not going to listen to you unless a mighty hand compels him. So it's got to be me. I will rescue you. I will stretch out my hand. And as you go, you won't just go empty handed. I'm going to force them to actually bless you as you go. You'll take articles of silver and gold and for clothing, you'll plunder the Egyptians. What a God, what a turnaround this God engineers for these people. It's a God of generosity and grace. It's not going to be easy, but he's going to be with them. And while all that is wonderful, Moses is still at a distance. He's still face down in the dirt, isn't he? Sandals off, unable to approach a holy God. How is it that he is not destroyed as he comes to this holy God and stands on holy ground? Well, there's a figure in the flame. Verse two, there's an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. This figure of an angel appears. And as Moses takes his shoes off and bows down to worship this figure, the figure accepts the worship. That doesn't happen in scripture where other humans meet angels and worship. That The angels say, get up on your feet. I'm just a creature the same as you are. But this angel takes the worship. This is more than a mere angel. And it's only as the story develops into the New Testament that the identity of this shadowy figure in the flame becomes clearer. What is true of God in Moses then is true of God in Christ for us today. How he dealt with his people then is how he deals with us now. 
See, we need a God who knows who we are, who hears our prayers, who sees our need, understands our situation, is concerned for our slavery, not just to a nation, but to sin. The sin which prevents us approaching a holy God. All of that's perfectly expressed in Jesus Christ, isn't it? Whose own name, Emmanuel, defines him as God with us. Who in John's account of Jesus' life repeatedly refers to himself in these terms, I am. I am with you to a woman seated on a well in John chapter four. He says, I am he. Don't be afraid to disciples cowering in a boat in a storm in John chapter six. He says, I am he. Don't be afraid to religious leaders who are questioning his authority and identity he says before Abraham was, I am. And it's as God in human flesh takes this claim to be God himself and as this God, man, Jesus goes to the cross and takes the fire of God's anger against sin and impurity and all that is unholy. It means that a holy God and unholy people need never be separated again. All of that is true of God here, then, you see, is it true in Christ for us? We have a God who is faithful to his promises, who will be all that we need him to be in each and every situation. One who weeps with us, who rescues us, who promises to be with us to the end of the age. And then we'll usher in his new creation. Well, we don't just plunder a little bit of silver and gold and clothing. But in the penultimate chapter of the book tells us that the wealth of the nations will come streaming in as people come to worship this God, our God. Names matter. Names matter. Be sure you know who it is you're approaching as you come to this God. Be sure you know who it is we're talking about week by week. You get to know this God and you'll find him hugely attractive, wonderfully welcoming. And if you're going to walk away, please be sure that you know who it is, the type of God, the God it is that you're walking away from. And the implications of that, because that holiness gap will remain. You're still going to have to get across it somehow. How are you going to face God's holiness if not in Jesus Christ? That's the story of Exodus, a God who draws people out of slavery and sin and draws them into a relationship with himself. See, Exodus 3 isn't really about Moses at all. It's all about God. And how we respond to God will drive our destiny. It will define our eternity. As I said earlier, Ray's going to come and help us think about that next week.